Hey everyone, welcome to The Front Porch. This is Brian Beaudry. Uh, today I'm talking to Peter McGinnis. His title of his LinkedIn just says, Making Inefficiencies Extinct. And, and I guess that kind of describes him as a person. Uh, we talked about how he got where he is today, uh, some of the people and ideas that have helped shape him along the way, and some of the goals for the future of Mackinac. I'd like to remind everyone that early bird pricing for our international conference is it's been extended through the end of April. So uh, you can save $150 on registration. So now's the time to do it. Uh, we're, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary this April and we're basically giving you money. We also have deals on software through the end of April. You can check your emails. You should have an email about the deals that are going on and go ahead and contact our sales team about those. Thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate everyone that listens to this podcast. Uh, if you have any suggestions for me or you think I should talk to someone and you want to hear from someone else in the rental industry, uh, email me at marketing at pointofrental.com. Um, and I guess I'll stop being inefficient now and in, in honor of our guest. And I'll let you hear from Peter. Welcome to The Front Porch with Brian Beaudry. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with some easy questions. Uh, first of all, who are you? Where are you from? And I'm going to start by assuming that you got into trouble as a kid. I don't know why. Uh, what's what's something that you were doing as a kid that frustrated your parents the most? Yeah, so my name is Peter McGinnis. Um, I'm with Mackinac Construction Products. Um, something that I've done when I or that I did um, that frustrated my parents was probably always asked questions, you know? Um, and that's the same thing that uh, probably frustrates me with my kids, very inquisitive, you know, always just asking, you know, the whys and things like that. Yeah, I was gonna say that seems, I have I have a daughter as well and she asks a lot of questions. And it's like one of those things where it's like, I get that this is good for you, but please stop. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. It's. Uh, you know, it, it's a good thing, I think, to be inquisitive about stuff like that, though. You know, just life questions. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? You know, it's it's important. For sure. Okay. It so get frustrating. What's that? But it does get frustrating. For sure. Okay. So when you're a kid, 8 to 10 years old again, uh, what, what are you thinking that you're going to be when you grow up? Uh, is it anywhere close to what you're doing today? No, it uh, it wasn't anywhere close where I wanted to be today. Um, and I, you know, when I, um, when I was a kid, like I'm, I'm talking, you know, it was that second or third grade when you're that old. Um, for some reason I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. Uh, it's very specific and I don't know that many <laughs> second to third graders that know of that. Right. So I must have heard it from someone and like maybe that person said they make a lot of money and have a good job or something. So I just kind of stuck onto that. But that makes no sense <laughs> because like I'm scared of needles. I don't like shots and, you know, it wouldn't fit. So I think it was just one of those things that, yeah, I want to be an anesthesiologist, but, you know, the amount of schooling and, you know, everything that comes along with it, it's definitely not my makeup. So that, that was one of the things that I wanted to be when I grew up and it was completely off. I don't know how I got on that trip. Yeah. So, so when are you realizing, you know what, anesthesiologist, not, not really where I should go. And, and how do you get to, to where you are as, as far as being an entrepreneur? Um, so, you know, through, through college, um, you know, I, I still probably didn't know like most people what I, what I wanted to do. I had a, um, uh, major in business, you know, that always, you know, interested me, um, specifically in international business. Um, did you do those because you were really interested in business, international business at the time? Or is this one of those things where I know when I went to school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to be, but like business sort of appealed to me because it seems like, ah, this will fit in pretty much anywhere. So I knew I wanted to be in some sort of business, you know, and I didn't know what, what business it was maybe. Um, but I knew that I wanted to work for myself and, you know, wanted to control my own destiny. And, you know, if I was in those business classes, um, you know, it put me around other people that, you know, kind of thought like that as well. 
Um, and I think probably the most that I got out of like the college aspect of it is one, you know, one, the social interacting, like kind of on your own, but there was not just classes, but like, um, team things that you did kind of outside of class that, you know, either had to revolves around sports or, um, revolves around like putting a business plan together and, you know, what, what's an idea for, you know, economics and you'd put together like presentation and did like these competitions outside of class. And like that really kind of interested me. Um, and then after college, um, you know, I, I thought I had some, uh, some great job. Uh, I got hired with Gallo wine company, you know, through the recruiting trip, they take you, uh, up to Napa Valley and Sonoma and, you know, wine and dine you and it's like this great thing but then the first day when you show up at work at you know 4 30 in the morning you're in a uh a Savon or osco drugstore uh you know cutting wine boxes and you know you're wearing a tie but uh that's uh that, that that's not why you thought you went to school for four years you thought you were going to get some you know desk job in a high-rise looking out the corner office window kind of thing yeah for sure so so how do you go from uh, the wine industry to, I, I assume you went, I think I remember you went to rental first or is, am I incorrect there? Yeah. So my, my dad uh, had an equipment rental company in Southern California. And, um, you know, I, I worked, you know, with my dad growing up on, you know, weekends and summers and, you know, just being around the equipment rental business um you know from a very early age but he was pretty adamant of um you know that that he didn't push me into doing you know uh what he wanted me to do you know he wanted me to go out and uh, you know burn my own trail and um so after a couple years at gallo wine uh, you know i had a, a time when I was either going to move out of state, you know, with, with the company or, um, which I didn't want to do. And so then I called my dad and said, Hey, can I get involved with, um, you know, the equipment rental business? And he said, yeah, you know, I've been waiting for you to, to ask. So, um, so I started literally, you know, full time, probably a, a month or two later, um, with some, some good sales and management experience under my belt that, you know, Gallo put together a great training program and really do a good job with, you know, training their new employees. Um, and, you know, I, I started working with my dad and, and we grew that business. Uh, he ended up selling the business. Um, and then uh, that's when I actually uh, purchased, uh, purchased a business from a couple uh, brothers that had been in the business for a long time, the Schlerp brothers that built a really good event rental business and homeowner business. Um, sorry, not event, um, trade show, uh, okay. tr trade show rental business. And um, so, so I bought that company and, you know, really, you know, grew it over a couple of years and um, ended up selling to, uh, Volvo Rents. Was that SoCal Rental? That was SoCal Rental, yeah. Okay. Volvo Rents was, you know, buying a lot of uh, their franchises back as well as independent rental companies. Um, and it was the right time to, to sell the business. Um, Good, because I was going to ask you a question about that. Um, so how did you know when it was time to, to sell SoCal Rental? Um, well, for me, like... Uh, geography, you know, I was driving, um, you know, 65 miles each day back and forth, back and forth to work. Um, you know, that's where our office was. Uh, and that's in LA. So sometimes that could take, you know, three hours. And, um, and I was at the point when uh, it was right before I got married. And, you know, I wanted to spend more time with family and start building the family. And I knew that being, you know, so in depth with that business because you know it was it was my business 24 hours seven days a week and i was there a lot um and it, it was it was at a 
um, a growth stage of the business because it was when I purchased it was um, you know 2008 2009 which was really low and then we had really good growth years coming out of out of that and the business was really booming and I put a a lot of capital investment into new equipment and things like that and we were at that point where we're maxed out at that level and to get to the next level it would have took a lot more capital um, injection into the business to get more equipment and things like that and that's what volvo uh, you know that fit perfectly in their in their game plan to really grow the business um, and then you know two years later they spun it off to uh, Blue Line, which is now United Rentals. All right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, so is this the time frame where you're doing this uh, international exchange with the ARA? Uh, Brandy mentioned that you got to do one of those. And I was wondering where you went with that. The um, international exchange actually came when I was working for my dad. Um, and it was uh, because when I first got in uh, to the, the rental business with my dad, uh, he was really big in the American Rental Association uh, and involved and did the chapter meetings and, um, and also the California Rental Association. Um, and we'd go to the trade shows each year. And he actually kind of uh, pushed me to get involved with, at the time it was called the Next Generation of rental owners, uh, that the ARA is a program that uh, Jenny Venema or Swanson put on um, at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, what today is the young professional group. You know, one of the things that was in the next generation group was uh, this program that they put together for international exchange. And we were kind of talking about it for a while uh, with the Global Rental Alliance. Um, you know, through some of the board meetings and things like that. And, um, you know, I put my hand up in the air saying, yeah, I'd, I'd do something like that for sure. And Kennard's Hire in Australia um, was a big advocate of this program because already before, you know, this program was instituted, they were sending people over forever, you know, to learn about the U.S. business. And that's actually one of the ways that, you know, Andy uh, Kennard and his brother um, learned about the rental business because they would come over and work with the guys at the California Rental Association, you know, 50 years ago uh, before rental was really a thing in Australia. And then they would bring those kind of traits uh, back to Australia and use it. And they, they saw a big influence and positive thing in sharing. So, yeah. um, you know, they were involved with it. And, and I actually was a first participant of the international uh, exchange program, which was, which is pretty cool. You know? Yeah. I like that. Uh, your dad says, finally, you're coming to equipment rental and then he tries to send you out of the country. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he wanted me to be equipped cause I didn't, uh, you know, I had spent a lot of time in the equipment rental industry, but it was more in, uh, the wash bay and, uh, you know, yeah. taking stuff down the street on deliveries and stuff like that. Not so much in the, the professional aspect of, uh, of the equipment rental industry. So he, he wanted it as an educational tool. Well, good. So that leads me into the next question. How nice. Um, so how did that trip influence your, the way you ran your rental business? You know, it was, it was, it was a great trip. Uh, I learned a bunch, um, you know, uh, Kennard's hire, um, at the time uh, that the CEO was uh, Pete Lankin and he um, kind of navigated me through and set up the whole agenda of where I was going to work and what I was going to do when I was in Australia. And he tried to get me in, you know, all aspects of the business. Like Kennard's Hire was uh, a massive company at that time, you know, it was a hundred and probably 30 or 40 locations where you know, we, we just had four locations. Um, so it's, it was completely different businesses of what, what, you know, I was used to. Um, so it really opened my eyes on, you know, how to scale a business. Um, and some of the things that, um, the bigger rental companies did, um, and focused on, uh, with processes and things like that. And so I was able to bring some of those things back um, you know, than when I started my business, SoCal Rental. Cool. 
All right. So let's circle back around to you've you've sold SoCal Rental. Uh, you say that you're spent you wanted to spend more time with your your wife, and from what I looked at your LinkedIn, you have you suddenly start these self storage businesses in North Carolina. Now, I mean, I'm pretty good at geography, so I, I'm aware that North Carolina and California not close. Uh, so how did that work? So that worked because my dad actually had a business in North Carolina, storage business. Um, and he was at a point where uh, he had a partner um, and the partner wanted to buy this other facility. And my dad was at a point where he's like, you know what, I'm not ready right now to, to get into this, but why don't you call Peter? You know, he's, uh, he's got some extra time on his hands now. Um, and I talked to, to BJ, my, you know, my business partner, um, or now business partner, but, uh, before, um, wasn't, and he called and I've known him forever. You know, we grew up water skiing together and, you know, he's a few years older than me and we'd we'd always go on vacation and stuff together. So he called up and said, Hey, there's this storage facility for sale, um, in Harrisburg, North Carolina, you know, what do you think? And I was like, well, you know, it, it seems like a good business. Let's, let's check it out. And it was actually, uh, uh, like a foreclosure type stale. So, um, it was in a distressed situation. I jumped on a plane, uh, went back and saw it and, you know, we kind of walked through it and, and Beach had the expertise already with storage. Uh, you know, he'd been doing it for, you know, probably eight years before. And, you know, I said, yeah, let's do it. And so then the next week he actually went down the courthouse steps, uh, and ended up buying, uh, the self-storage facility out of, out of, uh, foreclosure. And, you know, then I would travel back, you know, once a quarter or so to really build that business. And then we, we just kept acquiring our, our goal was to, to get, uh, one new storage facility a year, and then also add on, um, to existing, uh, storage, uh, storage units on yeah. each property. Um, so we did that, you know, for, well, it's, it's still going on now. It's a little bit different structure now, but, uh. You know, there's, you know, 16 uh, storage facilities with, you know, a lot of square feet under management. So at, during this time, are you managing these? How are you, how are you uh, handling, you know, living in California, but managing something in North Carolina? It seems like you're remote working before it's cool. Uh, you know, I was traveling a little bit to go back, you know, like it, it started out maybe once a quarter, but then it was once every, you know, six months or so. Um, and one, once it was up and running, you know, Beach was on the ground, you know, kind of running the facilities anyway, um, and doing the construction of it, which was great, you know? Um, so I, I was involved a, a lot in the early, um, you know, startup of it. Uh, but then after that, uh, you know, more hands off like I am today, more hands off. Okay. Well, and I assume part of the reason that you're a, a bit more hands off today is now you're at Mackinac. So, um, why did you choose to become a supplier in the rental industry? Now, it seems like you always want to be somewhat associated with rental in some way, uh, and you just can't get away. Well, the, the rental industry is great. You know, the, the people involved with it, um, you know, it's, it's what I know and it's what I've grown up doing. Um, you know, shoot, when I was, you know, eight or nine years old, I was going to Anaheim for the ARA shows, uh, you know, getting a little multi-quip baseball bats, you know, at the trade show. So, you know, it's definitely in my DNA. The way that I got involved with Mackinac's was when I had my equipment rental company, um, uh, Rory Kennard and Paul Weaver, the owners of Mackinac would like, you know, I was in contact with them and they would send me, you know, jackhammer trolley and stuff and ask about it. Like, Hey, do you think it'll work in the U S market? And then they were coming over about once a year, normally around the ARA time. Uh, and they were going to meetings and things like that. Um, and you know, they would stay at my house and, you know, I'd take them to the different meetings. Um, just like, um, they would do for us if we went to Australia and, um, you know, I was kind of involved at that time with storage, but as you know, they were there, I, I realized my, 
my, I guess, missing of the rental industry. And this was a way that I could get back involved. So I, I talked to him and said, Hey, why don't we, if it's possible, you know, I'd like to be part of Mackinac and, and really grow this, uh, grow this, uh, company. I believed in the products, you know, with the jackhammer trolley and powered hand truck, it was something that, you know, the U S market didn't have, and I knew it would be a great improvement. Um, and it was proven in, in Australia. So I knew that we could be successful with it and that's kind of when the whole Mackinac thing started and, you know, Rory said, yeah, let, let's do it. And, you know, we opened up a, an office uh, about eight years ago now here in the U S it was literally a roll up uh, storage door and we've kind of just grown the company from there. It's uh, you know, it's, it's going, it's gone great. You know, in the last 18 months, we've hired a CEO to run the company out of Australia, the global group. Um, and then most recently we've hired, um, a president of the Americas, um, who, you know, Steve Chamberlain is great, uh, great motivator. And, you know, his, his background is the, uh, equipment, uh, a construction equipment as well. He ran Husqvarna for many years during the growth stage of Husqvarna. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's the vision that we have for Mackinac. So we want to put the right people in the right spots to really, you know, grow the company. All right. Well, I mean, I hear, so coming from Australia, expanding in North America, uh, let, let's skip to the part we were going to talk about at some point. Uh, you guys are getting into Canada, and that's something that we're, we're into here as well at, at Point of Rental. Uh, so talk about why you're getting into Canada and what you're excited about there. So, so we've been in Canada for, for seven or eight years now. You know, we deal with um, all the, the major uh, rental companies there, um, as well as the, the national rental companies in the U.S. that have branches there. And, you know, we've, we've supported the Canadian market. We think it's a very good fit for Mackinac because um, of the safety of our products and the efficiencies that it brings to the end user. So like the, the product mix fits well and, and it's well received, you know, with that safety in mind. And so we knew that to give our Canadian customers, we needed to get more focus on uh, that market. And so that's one of my main focuses now is to really uh, build that Canadian business, you know, set up proper uh, warehousing and business structure so that that we can support our Canadian customers um, in both uh, the rental companies, um, the large rental companies, as well as the independents, because we feel that um, the Canadian customers should, um, you know, have Mackinac in their in their branches, and and they'll do good with it. All right. You also mentioned um, getting a new CEO and a new head of uh, North America. Uh, you are the general manager, uh, according to your website at uh, Mackinac. So what does that mean? My title now is, gosh, uh, business development, I believe. Um, with my main focus is on the Canadian market, and I handle um, all of our OEM sales. So we actually build our tools for other manufacturers as well. And so I, I handle those aspects of the businesses. Um, those are the things that I really like to do. So those are the things that I really want to focus on. Well, I'm glad you get to focus on the things that you really like to do. That's always fun. As owners, we made a decision um, that uh, Paul, Rory, and myself, we really wanted to grow the business. Um, and we knew that we needed, you know, skills in the business um, to, you know, get to that next level. Um, and skill sets that we necessarily didn't have. So that's why we've, we've outsourced the skills that we didn't have or that we didn't want to do. And so, so we, uh, we brought in um, the group CEO, John Stewart, um, which he's been a great culture fit and um, really been able to drive uh, the same messaging and brand that, that you know, we want with Mackinac. Um, and he, he's brought a lot of uh, new good things to the company. Um, and then same with, you know, um, getting the president of America, Steve Chamberlain, and, um, you know, we're really getting, 
we're positioning Mackinac to really get to that next uh, growth stage of the company. Let's talk a little bit about the industry and world, worldwide supply chain issues. Um, how is that affecting you at Mackinac? And what's something that you wish your customers or potential customers knew? I think the way it affects us the most is our customers are probably more uh, sympathetic, um, you know, on uh, what's going on. Uh, they, they understand now more so than if we were out of stock of something before there was, you know, there was no remorse, <laughs> you know, when we were out of stock. As Mackinac, we've been pretty good with, um, with our stock levels throughout the, um, the supply chain crisis, I guess. Um, maybe things are a little bit later delayed on a boat sometimes, but we, we've done really good with our core products. And that's kind of been one of our focuses of, you know, never be out of stock on our jackhammer trolleys or tile smasher heads, never be out of stock on our powered hand truck, the lifting device, um, and never be out of stock on our uh, dual pressure washers. Uh, where we do get some challenges is with, um, are things with engines on them um, because we are buying those engines from, um, you know, the Honda supplier and Vanguard and, and they've had some challenges uh, with getting, you know, the proper stock, but we've been able to manage the expectations of our customers um, and just be completely transparent with them on where we're at and when we're going to be able to deliver. Um, yeah. And they've, they've been pretty good about, uh, you know, listening to, you know, some of the challenges that we're going through and working, working through us, giving us, you know, maybe further out forecasts so that we can plan to be able to, you know, supply, supply our customers with, you know, the right equipment. Yeah. I was going to say, is, is that really just what it comes down to is being able to better manage those expectations rather than, uh, necessarily being, obviously you can't control the entire supply chain. So it just comes down to managing those expectations and communicating, right? Well, that and like, so we had this supply chain issue going on and then there was also, you know, the pandemic, which changed the buying habits of the customers. So, you know, that kind of flipped us on our head because whereas we knew that every year in February, people were going to buy at, you know, the ARA show, you know, then that kind of got, <laughs> you know, messed up a bit and, you know, we knew that, uh, you know, the, the nationals, you know, would uh, release POs at their fiscal year ends whenever, whenever that was, depending on the company. And, you know, that kind of changed a bit. So, you know, just really being able to manage when our customers needed the equipment uh, was, has been, you know, really the supply chain. We're just having to adapt to you know, our customers' needs and when, when they actually need equipment now. All right, let's get to more happy things. Uh, one of the things we like to talk about at Point of Rental is innovation. And I hear you have a bunch of innovative stuff going on over at Mackinac. So uh, tell me about them. And let's try to fit it in like a one to two minute window because I know you could probably go on for hours about all the innovative stuff you guys are doing. So let's, let's fit it short. So, so what Mackinac stands for is making inefficiencies extinct. So that's you know, what we use in developing all of our products. Some of the latest innovations that we're working on are our mobile charge pod, which is um, a battery charging station uh, for battery powered tools. And we really think that the electrification of the construction industry um, is already here, but will come more. So um, a lot of our focus is on that. Um, we've been working on um, a hybrid power solution uh, for the last couple of years, which incorporates solar battery and generator. So you can save on fuel consumption um, and be a more green type um, job site. You know, we've had uh, some test cases in the Australian market that are saving, you know, up to 90% uh, fuel consumption. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, in some areas, it's probably not out of line um, to even do better than that in the real um, sunny type areas. Um, so that's where a lot of our innovation is going. Um, you know, we're always trying to better, uh, better our existing equipment. 
Um, and, you know, our R&D department is always focusing on how can we do this better? And that's, that's with our existing range as well as um, range extensions of our products. Okay, first I got to ask a, a quick uh, unrelated question. Uh, so you're, you're making inefficiencies extinct. Do you ever just like say, uh, this inefficiency is endangered, but we haven't driven it to extinction yet? <laughs> no, it's always <laughs> extinct. We, we don't... Uh, we don't uh, worry about the endangered. We, we like to get it out right away. All right. Okay. Let's, you, in your innovations, you're talking about uh, renewable uh, stuff. You're talking about make, going green. Now, I live in Texas now, and that sounds pretty California-y. Why is, is this such a big focus for you? So, so this is, this is driven by, you know, what our own beliefs are of, you know, we think that we should leave the world in a better spot, um, you know, for the next generations to come. Um, and then probably, you know, more importantly, business wise, um, this is what our customers are looking for, you know, over the last five years, um, if you, if you look at our customers, um, visions and mission statements um, and values, there's always now something to do with, um, you know, reducing the uh, carbon foot footprint and, um, you know, sustainability. And this is, these are just buzzwords now in everybody's corporate culture. So this is what our customers are asking for, um, as well as it fits into our uh, making inefficiencies extinct mantra, you know, like it, it does sound California E. <laughs> um, but the, the thing that really like sparks my interest is if we can put a hybrid power station on a job site and spend, you know, 90% less fuel consumption, you know, I don't care if it's California, New York, or whatever, you know, that's, that's money that you're going to save in your pocket. Maybe it's a bigger capital investment up front, but you know, you're going to be able to put that, those extra dollars that you are spending on fuel and labor to go fill up, you know, these things, these generators or, um, you know, equipment on job sites. You know, if we, if we can get battery power tools, you know, hand tools, you know, Hilti, Makita, Bosch, all these companies, you know, are cutting the cord. They're, they're going to battery powered uh, products. So if we can provide a solution to them to even be uh, greener or, or more sustainable when they're charging, you know, these, uh, these tools, that, that's, that's going to be the best, you know, and that, that's where we see Mackinac's um, leading into uh, the future. I mean, hey, who wants to pay gas prices and, and worry about those costs all the time? Especially lately. Exactly. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to laugh? It's time for Jonathan's Jokes. Let's give him a hand. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So for today's joke, why couldn't the couple get married at the library? It was all booked up. <laughs> okay, so first of all, when I was setting this interview up, normally I'll send an email, maybe wait a couple days to get a response, follow up. I mean, it, it can take a while. Even when I was sending the early emails for this, you were responding in like five minutes. I. I sent one early in the morning thinking like, ah, he's in California. I'll wait, a f I'll have a couple hours of time to get ready for a response. And boom, like five minutes later, there's an email. So how, just how and why are you so responsive? You know, I, th I think that's an important, you know, we have the technology these days um, to be able to be responsive. And, you know, I deal in uh, a lot of different time zones and, you know, People are always working, which kind of means that I'm always working. But on, you know, things like I, that I can respond back quickly, um, you know, I think it's better to just get it done and move on. 
you know, sure, I could have uh, waited until I came and sat at my desk to, you know, say, yeah, Brian, why don't we set up a, a podcast? But, you know, I knew that this would be a good thing for both of us. So yes, let, let's get it set up and, you know, make that decision and move on. And that's, that's kind of how I, how I operate with, uh, with everything. I like to get people quick responses, um, especially when they're, you know, easy type questions. Now, some stuff does take more time that, you know, you need to put together PowerPoint or, you know, presentations and things like that. And you can't get back right away. But, yeah. you know, a lot of times with those, I'll even respond. Yep. No problem. I'll get that to you. You know, give me some time to, you know, get something together. Well, I like it. That's, that's good uh, customer or even I, I'm not really a customer here, but uh, good customer service. Um, what's a trait that you believe all great leaders have in common? I think a good vision, um, you know, to, to be able to uh, explain that vision um, and get people to buy into the vision. All right. So what's, what's your vision again? Making inefficiencies extinct. <laughs> All right. Way, way to keep it short. Yeah. Um, this one's a new one that I'm trying. I'm trying this new question. I read it in some uh, article somewhere, but basically, you know, everyone makes mistakes. So, and a lot of times with really successful people will, people will start to believe like these guys are amazing and they just never screw up. So what did you learn from your biggest mistake? Yeah. So mistakes, uh, they hurt and you try to not think about them too much and just move on. Right. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, the learning of it. You know, if, if you, if you make mistakes, you make mistakes quick, you know, it's better to, make them quick and then move on to the next thing. Cause there's plenty of things coming. Um, so maybe it's a uh, fail quick and fast, I guess. <laughs> I like it. Okay. So I've talked to a fair number of people that were competitive athletes or musicians as kids. Did you have a bunch of extracurricular activities when you were a kid or no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, my parents got me involved with just about, uh, every sport, um, and they did try um, music stuff for a while. I remember going to piano recitals, which I hated, and I sucked at it. Um, so it was always really embarrassing to get up there and, you know, play some piano. Uh, I think I only did it a couple times. Uh, and uh, Darn, I can't ask you for a sample real quick. Yeah, I don't it, see a piano in there. It didn't end well, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, com competitive sports, yes, 100%. Like... I think that was uh, that was a great part of you know what my parents pushed pushed me to do and kept me involved with uh, soccer all growing up. College, I played lacrosse, and you know it's it's great to have that team atmosphere and competitive sports. Yes. All right, give me your moment of greatest glory uh, playing lacrosse in college on the West Coast is is interesting because there's I know there's not as much of a lacrosse uh, history over there. There, there's not, but there's being, there's a lot more lately. Like I drove past uh, elementary school last week and, uh, the kids were out there playing lacrosse in hockey, you know, a street hockey, but I was surprised because that, that was never in my elementary schools. Um, a greatest moment, uh, playing lacrosse in college, your most glorious moment, glorious moment. <laughs> um, well, it was a fun moment. We played, uh, we played at LSU um, and it, our coach set up uh, the tournament um, right around Mardi Gras. So um, that, that was a fun tournament uh, playing at LSU. I think one for, you know, that we got to play LSU and a bunch of other of the, the teams uh, in the South, but then also to be, be at Mardi Gras. That, that was glorious. I was going to say that feels kind of like one of those things where it's like, I want to go to Mardi Gras. How can I get this? How can I make this happen and get the school to pay for it? That's right. <laughs> I like it. Um, let's see. I'm also told that you're super competitive. So can you tell me about a time where maybe you went too far uh, being competitive? Are you just out there crushing your kids when they're learning sports? Or does having kids help you temper that a little bit? Um, so I am super competitive and have that winning, like winning aspiration, you know, you if, if you're going to do something, you, you want to be the best at it and you, you want to win at it. And, you know, we get our kids involved with a lot of activities, you know, their soccer, skiing, 
um, gymnastics, skateboarding. You know, we try to get them in just about everything. My wife is also pretty competitive. And uh, I guess one, one time we're at like a soccer game and my, it was at my son's soccer game. He's seven, he's probably six at the time. And we're both standing on the sidelines and we, we realized we were the only ones that were like yelling at the, and not yelling, but like, you know, vocal at the kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we kind of noticed it and we'd look at each other with him. Are we the only ones, you know, that are doing this? And so we are quiet. And then we realized that we were the only ones, <laughs> you know, yelling. So I think we do push our kids. We want our kids to be, have that competitive at, uh, attitude, you know, but they have to come into it for themselves too. They, they have to want to do it. And I think that's what keeps you out of trouble growing up. And when you have extracurricular activities to keep you focused and motivated. For sure. So you mentioned that your wife's also competitive. Was there like a point when you were dating early on that you guys, maybe you guys went out to bowling or something and like neither of you would give? Oh man. She, I mean, she's, she's, uh, more competitive than me and, uh, uh, has better skills. Like she's more athletic. Um, and so like, even like, you know, we used to do CrossFit and, um, you know, she would, she would kick my butt at, uh, you know, the, the different uh, workouts and things like that. So I was always chasing her on that, that front. All right. Well, I guess, I guess you have to live with, uh, not being able to win there. That's it. <laughs> All right. So when you're not making inefficiencies extinct, what are you doing? It sounds like you're uh, doing a lot of stuff with the kids. Yeah, it's a, a lot getting kids place to place for the last couple of years. Um, we, you know, we enjoy um, uh, uh, skiing and snowboarding as a family, which has uh, been really great over the last, you know, three to four years when the kids, you know, the first year really took a lot with, you know, getting them going. And, you know, we had kind of that aha moment when we're all skiing down the mountain together and we could do it as a family. And that was a, pretty cool moment for us. Um, and that, like, that's, that's how I enjoy spending, you know, active time with the family. We do hikes and things like that too. Awesome. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. That's one of the things I miss about living in Southern California is just like, yeah, you can go to the beach and the mountains like in the same day if you wanted to. Yeah, we've done that. We've been in the water, um, you know, and, and on the slopes the same day before. Pretty cool. Okay, well, now we can get to the important questions. Uh, none of what we've talked about so far was important. Sorry, sorry to say that now. Five important questions. Five important, Five important questions. questions. Five important questions. What is your greatest fear? So um, I actually shared this uh, a few weeks ago with our team in one of our meetings uh, here at Mackinac. Um, just what, what everyone was scared of. And, um, I think that the fear for me or the scared for me was, uh, scared of birds. You know, I kind of feel like inside uneasy around birds. It's the, the beak, the feathers and the claws, just something about it. You know, it's been like that for my whole life or as it, long as I can remember. So it's all those things. It's not the like ability to fly. Are you afraid of bats? Uh, yeah, because it has, uh, you know, beak and claws and wings. So that's okay. so good for me. Well, I'm glad you said birds there because it was, I was told that you were afraid of birds and I was like, wow, uh, if he says something else, then I'm going to have to bring up the birds, but <laughs> you brought it up. All right. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice when you started your career, what would it be? I think probably leverage more, you know, borrow, borrow more, uh, you know, I think probably when I first started in business for myself, you know, I was in the mindset of, okay, you know, start smaller, um, maybe because I didn't have the confidence that it was going to be successful. Um, and, you know, so I used a lot of like my own money when I, I, or money from whatever I was doing at the time, like the profits went right back into grow. Um, whereas I think, you know, now maybe I'm more confident that, you know, if, if you borrow more, you can grow uh, quicker, faster. Um, and I think that's probably what I would 
give myself advice for to be more confident in yourself that that it is going to be successful so you can you can leverage leverage more all right that's the first time i've heard that one i like it okay now what's the <laughs> now that i've told you that i like this uh what's your most embarrassing moment in your career let's take you back down a peg you know i i don't know i i don't think i get embarrassed too easy um Okay, what's something that you should have been embarrassed by, but you're apparently not? And should uh, what should I have been embarrassed by? I, I mean, I don't know. Well, I don't have one. I'm sorry, this, Brian. It's gonna make the segue into the next one a little awkward, but we'll we'll go for it anyway. So sorry, you've been sentenced to death for uh, not having a most embarrassing moment. Um, we still do the last meal thing here in this imaginary world. So what is your last meal and why do you choose that? Last meal. I, I like, we have a little Mexican restaurant by our house called El Tarasco. We normally do it on Sunday nights. You know, it's a, a special burrito. Um, and it's simple, you know, it comes in a, uh, a little tin uh, to go thing and they give you those round you know tortilla chips and okay yeah we normally eat as a family i think i think that's a simple last meal for me i was gonna say is that a wet burrito or or not it's a wet burrito for sure okay good um are you having any drinks or desserts with this burrito or or no yeah we we'd love to have drinks you know the <laughs> the tecates and uh, the margaritas with that uh, even make that mexican food better all right. Yeah. I was going to say, if it's your last meal, I mean, you don't want to go out sober. Right. Uh, <laughs> so if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Probably to get stuck into my family more, you know, and have that like work-life balance. If there was something that I had to change, um, which that that's always just the, the hard balance for me because I've always been real work driven. Um, and to put that same, uh, same focus in family is it's definitely more of an effort for me. So that's what I would change for sure. Make that effort easy. I like it. Okay. If you could change one thing about the rental industry, what would it be? It seems like you're trying to already change, do some, make some changes in the rental industry. Uh, but, but what would, if you had one thing that you could change, what would it be? For the rental industry? And I, I want to have this come off the, the right way, uh, but quicker adoption of new technology. Um, okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to, I was going to couch this in like, instead of you having to build over years, you can snap your fingers and the rental industry is like this now. What, what would it be? I, I think, uh, to, to adopt new technologies that make their job, uh, you know, easier, safer, and faster, you know, and, and I'll give you a real time example. What, one of, uh, uh, my my good business friends for you know seven years no actually seventeen years probably now um, I showed him our powered hand truck eight years ago and um, you know he said no 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 we you know we don't need that we won't be good like, okay you know and and since we're on you know since we're friends I didn't push it too hard you know because I didn't want to you know be the sales guy you know. <laughs> And, um, just actually probably six months ago, I, I saw he was calling into the office. And so I saw his name and I answered the phone. So I start talking to him and, uh, he's like, Hey, you know, uh, that, uh, that powered hand truck is great. You know, I, I love that thing. I can't believe it took us this long to get it. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. I do you remember us talking about it? You know, a long yeah. time ago. I should have just sent you one then. I should have just sent him one, and you know, he would have paid for it eight years ago, and he would have had that eight years of efficiency of loading and unloading his equipment to get that that timeline of adoption on innovation. I think shortened would would be great for um, for the rental industry. Yeah, I think it's kind of like you mentioned with uh, being able to leverage your your stuff earlier. I mean, you're really just compressing the time it takes to grow if you're uh, adopting earlier with your your technology. Um, what is your spirit spice? I don't know what a spirit spice is. 
Yes, many people don't because, you know, it's a thing we made up for this podcast a while ago. Uh, it's kind of like a spirit animal, but for, for cooking and for w- what spice do you feel in a spice rack embodies you? Got it. Um, wow. It's okay if you don't have an answer. There's a reason that the five important questions encompasses like 12 questions. Right. So I can either say like cayenne pepper or sugar, right? Like that's the two ends of the spectrum. <laughs> it's cayenne pepper mixed with sugar. If you want to, if you want to combine both. Yeah. Which does not sound like the best, uh, spice. No. And, uh, when I, when I read that question, when you sent it over, I was like, is he taught like, I I'm thinking, man, maybe I'm dating myself or something, but is he talking about like the spice girls or something? <laughs> I had no idea what, what it was even about. That's one that I kind of hope someone does answer it in, in the form of spice girl as well. I mean, I, <laughs> It's your answer. I'll go with whatever you want to say there. Right. Okay. Tell me a secret about the rental industry. A secret. You know, I don't think there are many secrets about the rental industry. Um, You know, this industry shares so much information back and forth between, uh, you know, uh, independent rental companies, the national rental companies, you know, um, even manufacturers, you know, now, now that I see this side of the business as well, you know, we deal a lot with, uh, and share information back and forth with the, the large, the larger, um, manufacturers as well. So I, I don't think there's many secrets. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's something that at least I knew about, about rental companies, but I didn't know, uh, it was quite the same on the manufacturer side. So maybe that's a secret to some people. Yeah. Did I forget to ask about anything that you feel we should, we sh- that the people need to know? No, I don't think so. Uh, it all was right. a pretty robust group of uh, questions there. We went from all spectrums, even talking about Spice Girls. I mean, yeah, every conversation does need some Spice Girls talk, I think. Yeah. So, so who has been uh, your favorite uh, oh, um, gosh. podcast interview? We're, we're not doing this. It's... I'm not, you're trying to have me pick between all of my, all of my children is like, you can't do that. I'm, I, I get control over cutting all of this anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you for joining me today, Peter. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to have a chat. Excellent. Thanks, Brian.